Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Well, good morning, OVBC family and friends, and thank you for joining us today as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. May I have your attention, please, is the title, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. May I have your attention, please. Those words typically precede a big announcement. It creates a anticipation within its hearers. As we all quiet it down, we turn and put our focus on the speaker, expecting about what he's about to say. Today, Luke records such a moment as Jesus travels back to his hometown. Now, the last four weeks, we have been discussing Jesus' temptation by the devil in the wilderness. And in this encounter, Luke has demonstrated that Jesus truly is the Son of God and the Son of Man, who is endowed with the Holy Spirit and demonstrates that he is the Messiah by his victory over the devil's schemes of temptation. Now, as we go to today's passage, we're going to be jumping almost a year ahead uh, from that encounter as Luke records Jesus' ministry in Galilee, including a drop-in visit to his hometown of Nazareth. So with that, Luke chapter 4, we're going to read verses 14 through 16. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Luke's account. We thank you for the life of Christ. I pray that you open up our minds and hearts to receive your word with gladness and joy. And Father, that we may listen, keep us from the distractions. And Father, may you glorify yourself as we respond to your work. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we begin, as we come to this portion of chapter 4, I want to give you some background. Uh, Jesus here is launching his kingdom mission in Galilee. However, Luke's first account of Jesus' public ministry is not the first actual events of his public ministry. Uh, Luke here skips nearly a year of Jesus doing miracles, cleansing the temple, uh, giving the gospel to Nicodemus in Judea and Jerusalem, as well as Jesus' meeting uh, the woman at the well on his way back up north to Galilee. You may recall that we, point, we had pointed out earlier that Luke compiles his record of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life more in a thematic uh, way than he does chronologically. And so for about a year and a half, Jesus went through the towns and the villages of Galilee. And that's where we're going to be setting ourselves for the next few chapters before he heads back to Judea and Jerusalem. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that there are about 240 towns and villages there in that region of Galilee. So there were plenty of places for Jesus to visit. And he did that for about a year and a half. And Luke covers this Galilean ministry from chapter 4, verse 14, where we are this morning. And we're going to follow it through to about the end of chapter 9. Now, Galilee was located in the northern part of Palestine. It consisted of both Jews and Gentile population. Nazareth was the town where Jesus was raised with his brothers and sisters. Now, this is also where Jesus would have worked alongside Joseph and his brothers until he started his ministry when he was 30 years of age. So he was very well known, and this is going to play a part as we look at the the rest of this passage next week. 
Now the synagogues where Jesus goes to visit and teach here were the places of worship and spiritual instruction for the Jewish people that had rose up after their exile to Babylon and the destruction of the temple. The Bible dictionary notes that the Jews of the exile needed mutual encouragement in the faithful practices of their religion and in the hope of their restoration of the land. You can imagine they're, they're taken away to a foreign country, away from their, their temple, away from their land. So these synagogues grew up from that need to meet and to instruct each other in the laws of Moses. So the practice of building and maintaining and meeting at a synagogue was transported back when they returned to Palestine after their 70 years of exile. The services consisted of singing the Psalms, uh, prayers, the reading of a portion of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then it would go with a message of encouragement from the readings of the prophets and some of the writings, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and so forth. It is at this point that Luke records Jesus' visit at his hometown. So again, let's go back to Luke chapter 4 and begin in verse 17 where we read, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now Isaiah, from where Jesus is reading reading here, was written some 700 years before Christ And it serves as a reminder to Israel that Yahweh is the living God and the creator of all things. One theologian writes that Isaiah looks forward to Israel's judgment, to her redemption from exile through a second exodus, and through her coming servant king, to the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that would include the nation in Yahweh's salvation. Jesus here is handed the scroll of Isaiah when he comes to that point of the message of encouragement and he purposely moves to Isaiah 61 and he reads the first two verses along with including parts of Isaiah 58. And he reads a portion of scripture here that was the foundation of Israel's hope for deliverance and restoration. That's Isaiah 61, those first two verses. Pastor Thabiti, in his book, Exalting Jesus in Luke, writes that the Isaiah 61, it prophesies the coming Messiah who brings the salvation of God. Isaiah says that the Messiah is anointed to do one thing primarily, and that is to preach. That is what a prophet does. He preaches the very words and promises of God. Now, I can almost imagine the emotions of the, uh, of the people in that place of worship that morning as Jesus finished reading that portion of Scripture. Here they are living under another foreign occupier. They're sitting in a synagogue that would serve to remind them of its origin as a place to meet for the Jewish exiles in a land far from Jerusalem. They were listening to the words that brought hope and comfort and anticipation of the Messiah's appearance to deliver them from the hated of occupiers and then to restore their land. And so with all those emotions, Luke then writes in Luke chapter 4 verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. 
And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. All eyes are fixed on Jesus after their reading. And Luke here seems to be building up the anticipation as he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and then he sat down. This was his, may I have your attention please moment. The people are waiting now to hear the words of encouragement that the teacher would give after reading from the prophet. This is coming from Jesus, a man they had grown up with. They were familiar with him. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, we read that once Jesus had their undivided attention, he says this about that portion of scripture. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Look at that again. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I was not there. You were not there. But I can almost imagine the, the silent uproar this might have caused. Out of all the things they might have expected him to say, surely this was the most unexpected. I can only imagine that they were shocked at his proclamation. Today, this has been fulfilled. The day that you have been looking for has arrived. The Messiah who you have been anticipating has now appeared. Probably with whispers spreading around the room with many wondering, what is this hometown young man saying here? That he is the Messiah? Up to this point, Luke writes that Jesus' reputation had spread across Palestine as he, as he has written as a, a report about Jesus went out throughout all the surrounding country teaching in their synagogues and being glorified by all. They had heard of his miracles and his year-long ministry there in Judea and Jerusalem. The word is spreading. Now, this does not mean when it says that they all glorified him, that they all had accepted him as the Messiah or that he, they knew he was the Son of God. Just that they were praising him for all of his teaching and his miracle-working power. They understood that something special was happening. And Jesus had, had developed a good reputation and anticipation in all the places that he went. Now here he is in his hometown of Nazareth. Many are in attendance to finally hear his teaching, probably hoping to catch him do some miracles that they all had heard about. Wondering, is this a hometown hero? Is this a young man who is familiar to them as a son of Joseph, the carpenter, making a, a good name for himself? Is What is going on here? The synagogue was probably filled with many who were proud of him, some who maybe were filled with curiosity, and of course those who were skeptical, as there always is in any crowd. Whatever their reason for being there, Jesus blows their mind when he flatly tells them that he is the Messiah. He is the deliverer and the redeemer of Israel. He is the servant and the anointed one of God. He does this in several ways. First, Luke tells us that Jesus returns home in the power of the Spirit. Luke has already pointed out to us that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has been at work in the life of Christ, in his conception, in his baptism, in his temptation, and now in his ministry. Joel B. Green, a theologian, writes that having been empowered and sanctioned as God's Son, Jesus now performs as God's Son. By traveling through the countryside, teaching and healing and casting out demons, 
Now this fulfills the first part of Isaiah's prophecy where the prophet declares to the Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. We see that the Holy Spirit is upon him. This is the anointed one of God. Secondly, we see that Luke notes that Jesus was a teacher. And we saw this before with the baddies comment that it was to preach, it was to teach. Jesus' routine was to visit the town synagogue and participate in reading a portion of scripture and then give a word of encouragement, a word of instruction and application. This feature of his ministry is pointed out again in the prophet's prophecy found in Isaiah 61. It says, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus is foremost of all things a teacher, one who taught with authority, who where the people were amazed at his teaching. The one who comes as a prophet that was promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, where God had promised Moses, says, I will raise up for them, the children of Israel, a prophet like you, speaking of Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. So you and I could say that Jesus was commanded by the Father to say, today this scripture is fulfilled. Jesus taught only what the Father had given to him. In this case, Jesus pronounces very clearly that he is the one promised by Yahweh, sent to deliver God's children. In particular, the Messiah's message would be good news to the poor. Now, the poor here does not necessarily mean the economically poor. Though it can mean that. The Greek word behind our translation speaks more to someone who is an outcast. One like a beggar who is too ashamed of his condition to look you in the eye and would close his eyes or look down and put his hands out. The poor here is, is, is referenced more are the, the social outcast. Those with a diminished state or considered outsiders by the people. This includes not only those that were poor but also many who Jesus would, would uh, hang with and eat with and drink with and, 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 and involve himself with, the, the prostitutes, the beggars, those that were the tax collectors. It included people like Matthew and Zacchaeus who were not poor by any standard, but were reviled as tax collectors for the hated Roman Empire and often stole from their own people. They too were approached and offered salvation by Jesus. So Jesus is a teacher who brings good news to those who need it, to those who are the social outcasts, the outsiders. Thirdly, we read that Jesus is anointed by Yahweh to deliver and redeem his people. This is clear as the prophet states that the Messiah will do this in three ways. The, the plan of salvation involves three things. The first one was to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Now again, Jesus did heal those who were physically blind. But it means much more than that. What you and I need more than physical healing is spiritual healing. The Bible tells us that all of humanity suffers from spiritual blindness. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.4 of the spiritual and mental infirmity. He says, in their case, the God of this world, speaking of the devil, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel of Jesus cannot be comprehended by the natural mind. 
The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Rome in Romans 8, 7, and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh, he writes, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the Messiah, the part of salvation, the, the plan of salvation includes a promise to, to release the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And only the Holy Spirit can enliven the dead mind to hear and understand the things of God. This is accomplished through the preaching and the teaching and the submission of Christ to the Father's redemption plan. Jesus himself teaches all things that we need for salvation. Theologian Walter Layfeld writes that Jesus, as the prophet and Messiah, will minister to the social outcast and needy, including the Gentiles, in the power of the Spirit. And in the same way that you and I are blinded, we are enslaved to sin. Paul writes in Galatians 4.3 that we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And that when we did not know God, for we were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Yet the God's plan of redemption included a rescue mission to liberate us from the chains of sin. John writes in his letter, 1 John 3.8, that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. We have been released. We are no longer slaves. Hence why Paul would encourage us in Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. His appearance there in Nazareth and on the earth is saying, I'm here to proclaim that the captives and the, the release of the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind. The second way we see that Jesus will, will be as the Messiah is the, to set free the oppressed. This promise refers to the curse of sin that affects each and every one of us. This speaks of a release, the forgiveness of sin, and a restoration or entry back into the community as God's children. When we first think of Jesus' ministry and his dealing with the press, we automatically think of those oppressed by demons, maybe sickness, pain, and even death. Jesus' ministry did include teaching the gospel, but it also had real-world applications, especially for those who were suffering. Again, Pastor Thabiti in his book, Exalting Jesus in Luke, writes this, that the gospel we preach cannot be escapism, a pie-in-the-sky gospel, it must be a gospel acquainted with pain, roughened by grit, and smelling like marginalized people. The gospel must enter the world as it is and proclaim to a broken people a healing Savior. That is what the world needs. That's what you and I need. And Jesus is coming and he's come to set free those that are oppressed now, this is not a social or political statement, but it does include Christ's work at alleviating people's suffering. And we as a church should do that. We have a history of doing that, and we should continue. But the gospel of Jesus is good news that meets people in their suffering, in their troubles, in their misery, and in their pain. It speaks to them in that. We, the church, the children of God, we have the words of life 
that is so desperately needed today. People are hurting. They're oppressed. They're overcome by guilt and shame. They're looking for answers. And those answers are found in a person. And that is what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 4. That person is Jesus Christ. He is victorious over the adversary of Yahweh, Satan. And as the conqueror and the king, he has the power to release and deliver all those that are oppressed by Satan. Theologian, again, uh, theologian Lifefield notes that, that this time in history, when God is in sovereign grace, he brings freedom from the guilt and the effects of sin. This has arrived. He is able to set free those that are oppressed. And then next we see that he's also to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this phrase is borrowed from the writings of Moses in the book of Leviticus. And it's about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee occurred every 50th year. Every 50 years they would celebrate this and include the freeing of the slaves, the cancellation of debts, the rest of the land from farming, no farming during that year, and the return of all the land to its original owners. It was a year of celebration and worship in which the children of Israel would demonstrate their obedience and their trust in Yahweh's providence and provision. This promise will be extended into the plan of salvation for all of God's children. Not in so much in the physical sense in the here and now, but in a spiritual sense in that God would put his favor on his children and release them from all the debts and give us the rest. Now we're not speaking of the debt that you may be in with a mortgage or some other type of thing, but the debt of sin. And give us the rest that we need from our labors. Not our working labor, but from our labor for salvation. Of trying to make ourselves right with God. Our rest is not found in the labor of our own hands. But in the labors of Christ on our behalf. One day we will enter that final day of rest. When Christ returns for all of God's children. But yet we must still have a message to proclaim. That Jesus Christ has come to proclaim a jubilee for us. Now, as we come to the end of this passage, Pastor Thabiti writes of Jesus' proclamation and that he is the fulfillment of the Isaiah's prophecy, that in this one sentence, today this is fulfilled, Jesus proclaims that he is the Messiah who brings this great salvation that was promised to Israel. Our theme so far in Luke has been that Luke is writing so that his readers may have certainty that Jesus is the messianic king who will bring God's reign and blessing. And in our passage today, Jesus says, I am that king. I am that Messiah, the anointed one. And I have come to fulfill what was written of me 700 years before. And I pray that as we go through this series in Luke, that you and I will become more and more certain and confident that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one of God, sent, sent to seek and save the lost of which you and I were once were. It should move us to action in sharing this good news with those that are captive, that are blinded and oppressed and in need of the Lord's favor. Pastor John Piper writes that, let it be declared unshamedly and reasonably that the greatest and most loving thing that we can do for anyone is to release them from the captivity of sin, heal them from the blindness of unbelief, and set them at liberty from the oppression of Satan. 
Only Jesus can do this for them, just as he's done for you and I. So with that, you and I need to share that message, that today, Jesus can do that for you. You know, I call you this morning as we come to a close, to pause, to consider, and to pray, and respond to what the Holy Spirit may be calling you to this morning. Today is the day of salvation. Have you accepted this good news? Do you recognize that Jesus is Messiah? Are you feeling uh, oppressed this morning? Is, is the suffering of this life too much for you? Go to Jesus. Do you find yourself looking for answers? Go to Jesus. Do you want to know how you can have eternal life? Look to Jesus. If you've done that, then share the good news. Give praise and wonder for what Christ has done. But in the same way, let us share that good message that Jesus has fulfilled what God has promised to us. I'd like to close with 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, where Paul writes, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let us give praise to the one who has saved us from our sin, set us free from our captivity, and is looking forward to that rest that year of the Lord, when he returns. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would just move within our hearts. If there's any here that are listening to this morning that do not know you as Savior, Father, I pray that you would begin to knock on that door to point them to the truth that you are our Savior, that they are in need of you. If there's any that is listening to my voice, that is watching this morning, that are struggling and they're suffering, I pray that you would uh, encourage and lift them up. May they see the answer to their problems is the gospel. And Father, we look forward to that day when all things will be made new. And Father, you come and you bring us back to yourselves. We thank you for this promise. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining this morning. We look forward to returning. We pray that that is coming very, very soon. God bless. Until next week. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.